0: Uh, Last week we talked about worship, and you can see over there on our Scrabble board that that word is there. But uh, this morning we're actually working through um, the Lord's Prayer. So if you weren't with us last week, welcome. It's great to have you here this week. Uh, I say the Lord's Prayer, and uh, many of us know that. We may know it from our reading of the Bible. We may know it because as children we grew up saying it, maybe in a, a Sunday school class. For me, at my school growing up, we used to have to say it in grade school every single morning. So it's one of those prayers that you kind of learn off by heart. So we thought, rather than just leave it as a prayer that we know by memory, let's dive into it a little bit. Let's figure out what it means, because most of us say it without thinking, but what does it mean? You know, let's think about what we're saying. So last week we started this series, and we're going to work over the next, uh, today, and then the next four weeks at looking passage by passage, sentence by sentence, over the Lord's Prayer. And my wife uh, told me last Sunday that I should have been clearer last week because uh, I took about 35 minutes to just get through the first sentence. And she said, you should let people know we're just doing one sentence a week. Because I think people are probably thinking, we're going to be here a long time if he's just now (laughs) finished sentence one. So so today we're going to work into sentence number two, and we're going to spread it out over six weeks. Because I really want to spend a little bit of time on each sentence because they really are really good sentences. As I said, we're, um, we're doing this series, and uh, it's called 66 Words to Live By, because in the Lord's Prayer, there are 66 words. And I wonder here this morning, talking of words, if you, like me, have ever found yourself saying something that really, when you think about it, you didn't actually mean what you said. Now, maybe it was as a child, you were uh, you know, a teenager, and your parents have grounded you, or they're, they're mad at you, and they do something, and you walk out of the room, and you slam the door, and you say, I hate you! Parents, have you ever heard your teenagers? Maybe as teenagers we've done that. Now the truth is we don't hate our parents. Now we get caught up in the emotion and we're mad and, and that seems to be as a 13-year-old about the only weapon we've got that we can use. You... So we shout it out. Maybe it was you as a parent. Maybe you had to discipline your son or daughter and uh, you heard these words coming out of your mouth, words that your own dad had said to you. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You're right, Dad. That's not going to hurt you at all. It's going to hurt me. Have you ever heard your parents say something like this? It's going to hurt me more. It's going to hurt you. What about this? What about maybe one of you ladies out there, a friend comes to you and she's got a brand new haircut and it's like short, really short. And she's like, what do you think? What do you say? That's awesome. I love it. It's so cute. Do you really mean that? (laughs) I love it. It's so cute. How about this one? It's not you, it's me. Ever said that? I hope none of you have never found yourself saying those words. I hope none of you have never heard those words. It's not you, it's me. I was thinking about this message this morning. I'm proud to say I've never, ever heard that phrase. Every time I heard it, it was always, no, it's you. It's definitely you. <laughs> That's why this isn't working. It's all you, buddy. So um, just a few examples. There are some phrases that maybe, maybe you've said. Maybe we found ourselves saying, well, we're like, you know what? Do I really mean what I'm saying? Because these words we, we speak, it's very easy to say things. And, and I say all that as an introduction because maybe when we pray this prayer, maybe we've prayed this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, do we really mean the words we're praying. Because if we fully understood what it was we were saying in the words of these prayers, we may not pray this prayer the way it is. You know, last week, we talked about um, exactly what the prayer meant. Because sometimes we're saying these words, we don't even know what they mean, but we're saying. Last week, we talked about a a phrase at the very beginning of the prayer that said, Hallowed be thy name. And we've probably found ourselves thinking, what does that mean? What what am I hallowing? What is hallowed? And we found out that simply, hallowed means holy. Holy. We're really just saying, God, you are holy, you are awesome. I want to start this prayer off by saying, God, you deserve my praise. I want to worship you. And we talked last week about everyday worship. The worship isn't just something that happened this morning for an hour on a Sunday and then we leave and then we'll we'll get back to worshiping again next Sunday, God, when we get here. No, God's wanting us to hallow his name to worship him every single day of the week. So this week we're going to take some time, we're going to look at this next phrase that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because I've got to be honest, as I was preparing for this morning's message, I really found myself asking this question. Do I really understand what I mean, what what this means? Do I really understand what I'm praying for when I say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because if I really fully understand what I was praying, I'm not sure that I would pray it. So let's take a look at what it says. That first part says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So, thy kingdom come. Again, like Hallowed, thy kingdom come is is a little bit of dated phrasing there. It's not really a a, a phrase that we use on a regular basis. Here in the United States, there's not much call to talk about kingdoms. Okay? Uh, this, This idea of a kingdom. In fact, there's probably only a couple of kingdoms this morning that you're familiar with. Maybe you're aware of the United Kingdom, the place where I grew up. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you're aware of the phrase, the magic kingdom. There's just two, two ideas of kingdoms. And if you're not familiar with them, one is a wonderful magic place where dreams come true and everyone that goes there has the time of their lives. The other is a theme park in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> The truth is that we don't really use this phrase kingdom on a regular basis. So when we're praying this prayer, thy kingdom come, what is it that we're saying? What is God's kingdom? Well, the English word for kingdom refers to a place. It's a territory, somewhere that can be clearly defined, a geographical place. But the Bible, the New Testament anyway, is written in Greek. And the Greek word for kingdom, it doesn't speak so much about a geographic place as it does a rule or a reign of the king himself. In fact, some translations of the Bible don't translate the word kingdom that way. Instead of the words the kingdom of God, they'll translate it the reign of God. So they're talking about anywhere that God reigns, that is his kingdom. And Jesus is saying in his prayer, hey, we want thy kingdom, we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So he's kind of saying, listen, that's what we're aiming for up there. Uh, this, this kingdom, there is a kingdom already established and we want it to reflect that one. We want it to look like this kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is an amazing place. There are no borders there. There's no end to the reign of the king in heaven. It's a place where he reigns unchallenged, a place of perfection. So, he's saying we need to pray that some of that can be experienced down here on earth. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us to do. In fact, last week we learned that Jesus, the crowd he was talking to here, it was, it was called the Sermon on the Mount. So, there would have been hundreds, probably thousands of people listening to this particular message that Jesus was teaching. And they weren't all religious people. In fact, many of them weren't at all religious. And he was saying to them, listen, there is a kingdom that I want to tell you about. A wonderful place. And I want to see that kingdom established. I want to see that reign here on earth. In fact, it was just a couple of chapters before in the book of Matthew that tells us all about Jesus. In a book, in a a chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus is beginning to start his teaching and his preaching. And he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the very beginning of Jesus' message, before he's even gone out to start teaching, he's basically saying, listen, this is what it's all about. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Through my life on earth, now they didn't know this at the time, but through his death and resurrection, Jesus was opening up God's kingdom to every one of us here this morning. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we don't have to wait to see heaven. We can experience heaven in our lives from today onwards. And Jesus was saying, when you pray that prayer, you're saying, I want the reign of the king to be established in this place. Wherever we gather together, I want to experience that kingdom's reign. And even though the earth itself doesn't reflect um, the reign of God in every area, I want there to be places where we gather and we experience the reign of the king. And I was thinking about this this week, like, well, what does that look like here today and in our culture? How does, how does that work? And the, the analogy I came up with, the idea I came up with is, you'll have to uh, go with me here a little bit, but as you know, I'm English, so uh, living here in the wonderful United States of America, loving it, um, it's every British kid's dream growing up to one day live in Peoria, Illinois, and here I am. It's fantastic. This is exactly where we all were hoping to be, and I'm finding myself here in Washington, Illinois, my family, I love it. But, you know, there is a place, it's over in um, Peoria, just off Pioneer Parkway and uh, Knoxville, and it's called the Fox Pub, okay? Now, the Fox is this kind of pub restaurant, and it's owned by a British guy. So when you walk in there, there's some British flags on the wall. They've got a fireplace with a picture of the Queen on the fireplace. And there's another picture of Prince Andrew and Princess Kate. No, not Andrew. Is it Who's he married to? Um, William. Prince William. <laughs> I've been here so long. <laughs> well, I know. We'll need to edit that out of the podcast. The kingdom I'm a part of will be coming after me with swords and axes and things. So <laughs> William and Kate and the, the new baby, George. George, yeah, George. <laughs> awesome. And when on Saturday mornings, okay, at 9 a.m., because that's 3 p.m. in England, okay, 9 a.m., he turns the TVs on, and guess what he shows? No, football. That's right, football. So English football from the Premier League, Man United and Chelsea. And, and you get these guys, lots of English guys who sit there and they, they watch the game and he serves up British breakfast of sausage and bacon and fried egg and fried bread. And just for a moment, when I've been there watching a game and there's a lot of British people tend to be in there, I feel like, man, just for a split second, I feel like I'm at home. It's like being in a little bit of Britain right here in the middle of America. And the same happens all over the world. In fact, did you know this afternoon, if any of you are going to be tuning in to watch the Jaguars versus the 49ers, I had to look that up, okay? Uh, maybe some of you are fans of those two great football teams. Um, do you know where they're playing today? Anyone know? They are. They're playing in London. Fantastic. They are playing that NFL game this afternoon in London, England. That's crazy. So this afternoon, there will be some Americans who have found their way to Great Britain, either living or visiting, who are going to go into that stadium and they're going to feel like, whoa, it's like being back at home in the middle of London. And those are kind of silly examples, but those Americans in London, me and that Fox pub, it's like, okay, I'm in the middle of America, but right now I feel like I'm in a part of Britain. And, and Jesus is saying when he says, pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, it's like heaven is there, but we want to see heaven established down here on earth. And, and for us as followers of Christ, that's what we're experiencing here this morning. It's like being a British person in that particular pub, watching that British game. Right this morning, we're experiencing some heaven on earth, the kingdom come in this place. And that's why Jesus said, I want to see this kingdom come, I want to see it expanded. If heaven, God's kingdom, is a place of no more tears and no more pain, then yes, I want to see it expanded all through my community. So thy kingdom come. We want to see God's reign established this side of heaven. But what about the next phrase? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I've got to be honest, that's, that's a little bit of a tough one. I think this morning that's the one that's going to stretch us a little bit in our thinking. Because if we're here this morning and we've chosen to, to follow Jesus, then who wouldn't want his kingdom to come and be expanded? But For all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, to pray this prayer, thy will be done. That's a tough one, because I think probably most of us are praying, thy kingdom come and and my will be done. But when you pray, thy will be done, you're actually saying to God, whatever your will is for my life, let it be. And like those phrases that I opened up with this morning, I wonder if we pray that and if we really mean it. And we really want to say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. Because it's hard. It's a hard prayer, like Justin was talking about earlier, to trust God and to let go completely. And I'll tell you how hard it is. Even Jesus himself struggled with that. We can read about it right before he he went to the cross to be crucified. It says that he went to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed all night. He says, God, if there is any other way to fulfill your plan, can you find it? Any other way? that I don't have to go through what I'm about to go through. But, and listen to what he says in Matthew 26, 39, he says, Not my will, but your will be done. Even Jesus himself struggles saying, God, I want thy will to be done, but in my situation tonight, in my situation tomorrow, it's going to cost me dearly. So are we really willing to say, God, I give you permission to have your will in my life? You know, as I was studying this, I I, kind of came up with another thought about this whole idea of when we pray, thy will be done. If Jesus is asking us to say, God, we want your will to be done, then really what he's saying is because right now here on earth, his will isn't being done in every single place throughout the earth. What do I mean by that? Well, all I have to do is throw up some numbers on the screen here this morning and you'll know exactly what I mean. Or maybe I mentioned this morning Sandy Hook. Or other countless tragedies that have taken place around the globe every single day. We see the the world that we live in right now, God's will isn't being done in many different places. Now sadly, I remember around the time of 9-11, there were people who said, Oh yeah, that was God's will for that to happen. But I don't believe that. I actually think it was probably the greatest example in our time that God's kingdom hasn't yet come. And that God's will isn't always being done. And this is really important for us to understand this morning because for many of us, if not all of us, this is a reality that we face every day. Now, maybe not on these global um, scales, but in our own life, maybe we have our own tragedies that we're struggling against. Maybe it's health in ourselves or our family. Maybe in our marriage, there's a struggle. Maybe something in your family or at work. And it's so not what God wants to be happening Maybe we live with pain or frustration and heartache because what's happening in our life isn't what God's will was meant to look like. The problem is that we live in a broken world. And please hear me here this morning what I'm saying. I do believe that God is at work. And I believe he's at work in the midst of all of these things, in all of the the struggles that we go through. He's at work in your pain and your suffering. But please don't think that whatever happens in your life is God's will. So much of the pain and the suffering that happens in our world is because God's will was not done. In fact, the vast majority, I believe, of human suffering is because somebody somewhere sometime did not do what God wanted them to do. And because of that, because of their living in disobedience or in anger or in in rage, whatever it it may be, there's pain and there's suffering in the world. And for those of you here this morning that aren't followers of Christ, that's a hard one to understand. In fact, to be honest with you, I think probably if you're here this morning and you do follow Jesus, that's still a hard one to understand because some of us will struggle with that and say, well, if it's not God's will for these, these tragedies that happen, this sickness, these, if that's not God's will and he's the creator of the universe and he's a God of love, why doesn't he just step in and do something about it? If this God was so loving, why not come in and, and make a change? And we as Christians, we as the church, we face this question for, for hundreds of years now. If God is such a God of love, why is there pain and suffering in the world if that's not His will? Well, the problem is we have a loving God. A loving God who chose to give us our own free will. God chose to give us a free will all of our own. You know, it would have been so much easier. Had God just made us like puppets? He could stop us doing bad things to each other. He could wipe out all the pain and the suffering that we cause one another. He could make us love one another. You know what? He could even make us love Him. But would that really be love? Let me put it this way, maybe to you husbands out there this morning. Would you want to be married to a robot? A wife you could control with a remote (laughs) Now, hold on. You're blowing my point here because already there are husbands like, a remote. Would w- there be a mute button on that remote? And uh, you're missing the point here, husbands. In fact, that kick you're getting right now is because you've missed the point completely. The truth is, none of us want a, a, a robot wife or a wife because, as nice as that may sound, do you really want to be married to somebody that's programmed to love you? You know, the definition of love here this morning is that that lady that sat next to you, wives, that man that sat next to you, he, she, they chose to love you. That's exactly what free will gives us the ability to do, to choose to love or to not love. So, your wife this morning, she knows who you are. She in this room knows you more than anyone else. She knows all the flaws, all the weaknesses, all the blemishes, and she still chooses to love you. That's a great demonstration of love, far greater than being forced to or being programmed to. So, by giving us free will, it means that we are free to choose to love God. We're not made to. But it's this free will that also allows us to choose not to love God, not to follow Him, to do harm to others, and ultimately to be a part of the reason that His will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. See, here's where this part of the prayer is reminding us of an incredibly remarkable reality. That God's will being done on earth is determined to a great degree by us. Me and you, me and my choices, you and your choices. His will is done when I choose to do what he wants. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying that we will have the wisdom and the courage and the faith and the selflessness and the obedience to do what God wants wants us to do in our lives. This isn't just about God's kingdom coming and God's will being done in our own personal lives. And this is why this is so important for us to understand this morning. This is about God's kingdom come and God's will being done through us in the world. Remember, there's this, just this incredible reality that God's kingdom come and God's will being done is connected to us doing what he created us to do. It's not just in our own lives, but in the lives of people around us, people who are hurting and suffering. There's a book by an author called Owen McManusley. He talks about this very concept in this way. Listen to this. It'll be up on the screen as you can read along. This planet is made better or worse by the people we choose to become. If you live a diminished life, it's not only you who loses, but the world loses and humanity loses. Though you may not recognize it, there is a greatness within you. The world needs you at your best. And for you and me to discover the greatness that God has put within us, and for you and I to live lives at our best, we need to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we're living and experiencing God's will take place in our lives, it changes the world we live in. Another writer by the name of N.T. writes of it this way. He says, we are praying for the redemption of the world for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all and in all. And if if we're going to pray these words, we better be ready to live these words and do what it takes to see thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So just like last week, we we kind of looked at the first part of the prayer and we saw that everyday worship is what Jesus was calling us to. This second part of the prayer is calling us to another thing to do every day. And and the pieces are right here on this this puzzle. And my wonderful assistants here, there she is, Caitlin, is going to come and show us. Because thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is God leading us to everyday lordship. Everyday lordship. Thy will be done in my life every day. Let me close out with this illustration just to really kind of show you this because you're like me as well. I want to know, well, how does that work in my life? Like, What does it mean to to live and have Jesus as Lord every day in my life? And this is probably the best way I can explain this that hopefully you'll be able to take with you as you leave here this week. So I want you to imagine with me that um, your life is like a car that you're driving. Okay, this, is, this is the car, and, and Jesus, for most of us, for, for all of us actually, when we're born into this world, he's, he's outside of that vehicle. And at some point in our lives, we'll, we'll come across Jesus. It may be our family bringing us up, it may be a friend who brings us to a church like this, but at, at some point we're, we're presented with this idea that Jesus, his, he was more than just a historical figure. His death and his resurrection, him rising again, was actually driven by his love for you. Because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. So we have to decide, okay, as I'm driving this car, am I going to let this Jesus who I've just learned about into the car with me? Or am I going to keep him outside? Always be here at Connect Church that we are asking Jesus to be in the car with us. And if you've not prayed that prayer, I'll challenge you this morning as we close out to pray that prayer. You can do that. And some of you have. You said, Dave, he's in my car. He's right. You see him? He's on the dashboard, right there. A little bobblehead Jesus. It's awesome. Every Sunday, I get him out of the glove box and I set him on the dashboard. And for about an hour, he's right there with me. He's just kind of loving me, singing, and he loves me. And you know, and, and pretty soon I'll leave because I've, I've got school this week or I've got work this week. So I'll just I'll tuck him in the dashboard, you know, in the glove box for the week. But he's still in the car, you know, keeping my little lucky Jesus there with me just in case. And for some, that's their relationship with Jesus. And I, I don't want to belittle that, you know, because maybe you're new to following Christ and that's kind of... But, but I want to challenge you because lordship is more than just having him there on a Sunday. Lordship's more than just using him as kind of a lucky charm. Lordship is allowing him some control of where this car's going. So some of you, you're a step ahead of me already. You're like, oh, Dave, I, I don't have the bubblehead Jesus. No, Jesus rides in the car with me all week long. He tells me where to go. I listen to his voice. I, do you know what? I don't even make him sit in the back. He sits right up front with me. He sits right there in the passenger seat. And if he tells me to turn left, I turn left. If he tells me to turn right, I turn right. He's with me 24-7 because I understand lordship. And that's awesome. But I'm afraid I'm going to upset you a little bit as well this morning. Because lordship really is saying Jesus, and there's a song, and I'm not going to sing it and we're not going to play it. (laughs) But it says, Jesus, take the wheel. And you'll sing that now all week. But Lordship is saying, you know what, Jesus? I'm not even going to let you just sit in the front seat. I'm going to climb over. I'm going to ride shotgun, and you take charge. You drive. Do you know how scary? That's Thy will be done. That's saying, Jesus, you. Do you know how scary that is? Because when you're driving, and Jesus says, Hey, you're going to turn left up here. You're like, you know what? I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know turning left here would be good, but there's a little bit further up I could turn left. I'll be okay. I'll, I'll just. I, I appreciate the advice. I, I hear you, but I've got it from here. When he's at the wheel and he turns left, and you're like, whoa, 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 I don't want to turn left here. You've got no choice because you've put him at the helm. He's the one driving the car. And that's exactly what Justin was speaking about earlier. He said, You know what? I'm in this great company right now with this great job, but things are shaky. The economy's shaking. It's affecting my job. But Justin, because I had lunch with him this week, he's a great guy. He, he said to me, Dave, it's really scary, but I've prayed that prayer. I've said, Jesus, I want thy will done in my life. That means you sitting at the wheel. So I want to challenge you on that this week as you, as you go into your week. Are you? Where is Jesus in the car? Is he, is he in the vehicle at all? Maybe some of you need to say, Jesus, I want you in the car. And, and for some of you, you may not be ready to say from outside to the wheel in one go. Maybe it's, uh, the first step is just saying, okay, I'll get him in first and, and we'll see where we go from there. And that's great. But for others, it's saying, no, Jesus, I want you to have control of my life. Because here's what happens. When we're praying, thy will be done, we're actually saying, God, I want your will to be done in me so that I can help your kingdom come in this world. So as Connect Church, when we're praying, thy will be done, we're, we're working with organizations like Hustle for Hydro, so that as a church, and we're, we're able to, because of your wonderful giving each week, you know, we're able to help these organizations that are impacting the lives of mums who are facing tragic situations. We're able to help children all around the world through Operation Christmas Child. When we pray as individuals, thy will be done, it means that we, during our week, are looking for opportunities to let um, the kingdom come in our lives, that the king's reign will be established as we care for one another, as we share with one another what Jesus has done in our lives. That's what it means to make thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's everyday lordship. So here's what I'm going to do this morning to close out. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer just by myself this week. Last week, we all prayed it together. This week, I'm going to lead us and I'll pray the prayer and you can just sit quietly in your seat and listen along. But here's what I want you to do because here's how prayer works, guys. You can pray right where you're sitting. In fact, you haven't even got to wait for me to finish praying. You can pray in your head this morning and God will hear you. And as I hit some of those phrases, I want you to to think about them in your life. But when I get to that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Some of you may need to say, Jesus I want to know what that's like, to have thy will done. I want to be able to trust you so much that I can say, Jesus, I give you permission to steer my life in the direction you feel it should go. If there's something this week you want me to do, I want to hear your voice and know what you would have me do. So let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I pulled upon my great school memory there, and it failed me in the midst of it. I should have written the words down. Uh, I think I got about 64 of the 66 words there. But I got the important ones for this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I pray that this week we'll experience being a part of God's kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives as we see his lordship.